0: and faculty treated my kids like they were their own. Shiloh is a, is a place where, you know, your kids can come and be themselves. The staff is very open to things that the parents have to say. To enroll your child in Shiloh's Early Learning Academy, call 225-343-4734. Hi, this is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Shiloh is a traditional church with the timeless message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we don't have something that will entice and intrigue you. We have a wonderful music ministry. We have wonderful children's ministries. We have a fabulous Christian education ministry. We're reaching out to you, inviting you to come and be a part of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. We want you to come and check us out. You'll be glad that you did. Would you please turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians? we're going to deal primarily with chapter three. I know we only covered uh, 12 verses in chapter two, but uh, really the meat of what we wanna talk about is in chapter three. We're gonna look back a little bit at uh, the latter verses of chapter two. What we're dealing with, uh, what, what Paul is dealing with in this letter Uh, in this portion of the letter, is trying to maintain enthusiasm and encouragement in the face of suffering. Maintaining enthusiasm and encouragement in the face of suffering. We pointed out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that these new Christians in the church at Thessalonica uh, were enduring suffering that may not have been physical, but was damaging. Uh, It was psychological, it was emotional, it was abusive. These Christians were experiencing rejection from family members because of their faith. They were experiencing the loss of employment because of their faith. They were experiencing social estrangement. There were people who were walking away from them because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they embraced the gospel. Nevertheless, they recognized the truth of what it was that they were embracing, and they were willing to endure the rejection for a little while. I said this to, 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 to the Sunday school uh, teachers last night, uh, and it really wasn't about the printed lesson, which has to do with Matthew chapter 6, but we made mention of the fact uh, that w- when you talk about suffering, everybody loves to read Job. A- a- everybody loves to read, though he slay me. Yet will I trust Him? But when you're the one being slayed, it's an entirely different experience. We we all say Amen to I know my Redeemer lives and He shall stand at the latter day. But when you're the one who's hurting, it's an you don't want to hear nobody saying, "Well, now you know the Redeemer lives." I want to hear nothing about no Redeemer right now. I'm in pain. That that's the reality of life. All of us can endure some suffering for a little while. But the true test of of our Christian commitment is when we are made to suffer for Christ and we are willing to endure that suffering over the long haul. Now, the kind of suffering that these people were enduring is not something that you and I are commonly familiar with. Nobody is—well, I shouldn't say nobody because I don't know what goes on these days. But most people will not come in and fire you because you're a Christian. They, 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 they won't say that you, you, you no longer have employment because you're a Christian. Most of your family members will not walk away from you because you go to church. On Sunday morning, as long as you ain't trying to drag them to church, they, they don't care. So, so, so the kind of suffering that these people are enduring is different from the suffering that you and I have to deal with on a regular basis. But let's be clear, when you're hurting, the source of the hurt is irrelevant to the fact that you are in pain. The only reason why you need to know the source of the hurt is so that you can stop the hurt from hurting. But when you are hurting, it doesn't matter how the hurt happened. It only matters that the hurt happens. And, it, and, and, and we need help to deal with the hurts of life. Some people deal with some hurts very well. They recover from them very well. Some people are still suffering from hurts that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago and and that's not an exaggeration that's not hyperbole some people don't get over some hurts the 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 promise of 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 the scripture the promise of what Paul says here is that when you are suffering God is able to help you bear your suffering I want to be clear Paul does not say that God will in all cases remove your suffering. The promise is that God will help you to bear your suffering. And I think that that's important. I I think it's an important distinction. And I think that it's better because while we all want the suffering to be removed, it's unrealistic to think that we're not going to hurt sometimes. And it's unrealistic to think that some hurts are not worse than other hurts. So Paul writes in this portion of of, of, uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, the third chapter, to offer sustained encouragement as you deal with various types of suffering. Uh, In order to keep everything in its context, you can't start with verse 1 of chapter 3. You have to go back to the 17th verse of chapter 2. So let's pick up there. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17. Do you have any idea how very homesick we became for you, dear friends? Even though it hadn't been that long and it was only our bodies that were separated from you, not our hearts We tried our very best to get back to see you. You can't imagine how much we missed you I Paul tried over and over to get back, but Satan stymied us each time Who do you think we're going to be proud of when our master Jesus appears if it's not you? You're our pride and joy. That's the end of chapter two. So when we couldn't stand being separated from you any longer and could find no way to visit you ourselves, we stayed in Athens and sent Timothy to get you up and about, cheering you on so you wouldn't be discouraged by these hard times. He's a brother and companion in the faith, God's man, in spreading the message, preaching Christ. All right, the reason why you have to go back to chapter 2, verse 17, is because chapter 3 starts with a conjunctive. So, conjunctions connect what came before it with what comes after. So, you needed to know what was written there. And what was written at the end of chapter 2 is Paul's great desire to see the Thessalonians, to be with the Thessalonians, because he had great love for them. And because of this love, he says, he will not abandon them when they need spiritual help. Now, that's important because in addition to help from the Lord, all of us from time to time need human help. I know that God is with me, and I'm grateful for the fact that God is with me. I'm grateful for the promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm grateful for, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. But every now and then, it's nice when there's a human touch. It's nice when there's a human voice. It's nice when there's human concern that is offered when you're going through tough times. And Paul is saying, in addition to my, my, my assurance to you that God is with you, that Jesus is with you, that the Holy Spirit is with you, I want you to know that I'm with you too. Even though I'm physically separated from you, I am never separated from you in heart. You are always on my mind. And when I could no longer live with the fact that we were physically separated from you and I couldn't come, I sent Timothy in my place. And and, and I'm glad for the fact that you received him in the way in which you did. We should have a similar passion both for the gospel and for those with whom we share the gospel. It is the charge of the church to be concerned, not just about gaining lost souls, but about nurturing lost souls. We like to to, to make the point that there's a threefold ministry that the church should be involved in. Evangelism to the lost, discipleship or nurture to the saved, and ministerial or missionary outreach to those who are hurting. It's the second one that, that, that we're lifting up here. Sometimes we, we get so excited when folk join the church or when folk accept Christ, and then once they're in, we leave them alone. And before you know it, they're gone because we haven't done enough to nurture, to stay in touch with them, to, to continue. And, and if you say, well, they didn't tell me they needed anything, sometimes they ain't going to tell you. Sometimes you're just going to look up and so-and-so is going to be gone, and you're not going to know where they went to. We should have the same kind of concern that Paul shows here for the Thessalonian Christians. Verse 3. Not that the troubles should come as any surprise to you. You've always known that we're in this, we're in for this kind of thing. It's part of our calling. When we were with you, we made it quite clear that there was trouble ahead. And now that it's happened, you know what it's like. Very important. Paul says, when... I was with you, I told you that trouble was coming. How different that is from from the message that so many give today where, where they tell you once you come to Jesus, you ain't never gonna have a problem. Once you give your life to Christ, all your problems are solved. Once you give your life to Christ, all your salvation problems are solved. But you got all kinds of other problems that will arise. Because being in Christ calls for a higher level of spiritual living. And sometimes folk don't like it when you move to a different spiritual level. You done changed. You ain't like what you used to be. I don't like this new you. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that I was up for your approval, but uh, I'm sorry you feel that way. But sometimes we, we suffer that kind of estrangement from people. Uh, and, and and I'm encouraged by the fact that Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. I'm encouraged by the fact that Paul doesn't hide it. He says, when I was there, I told you that this was going to happen. Three things I want you to see in these couple of verses. Number one, trials will come. Not trials may come. Trials will come. When you come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and you shift as a result of that knowledge, People are not going to always be satisfied with who you become. So, trials will come. Second, trials can rock you if you're not prepared for them. Trials can, can, can upset you. Trials can shake your faith. I, I, I wasn't expecting this to happen. I, I didn't know that it was going to be like this. Well, if you didn't know, it's because you didn't want to know. Because Paul says, I told you. I warned you. It's like some of y'all, when, when y'all started dating somebody and y'all, y'all thinking about getting married and, 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 and you talk to your parents or you talk to some elder person and they say, now, look, marriage ain't all that you think it is. You got this kind of thing. You got that kind of thing that you going to have to do. And, and you sitting there, you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you ain't, and you ain't listening to nothing they say. Until trouble comes and when trouble comes and you go running back to that person and you start telling about your, well, I told you. Yeah, but I didn't expect it to be like this. Well, if you didn't expect it, it's because you weren't paying any attention. Trials can rock you if you are not spiritually prepared to deal with them. So number one, trials will come. Number two, trials can rock you. Number three, this is very important. Trials come from God. Not that the trouble should come as any surprise to you. You've always known that we're in for this kind of thing. It's part of. Of our calling. Trials come from God. Turning your Bibles real quick to James Chapter one. Verse two. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient In any way. When James says that it's a gift, you ought to ask yourself the question who's the gift from? The gift is from God. Trouble is a gift from God. That's what James says. Don't look at me funny, I didn't say it. James said it. Trouble is a gift from God it's a remind what, what's the purpose of the gift the purpose of the gift is to help you shift your focus away from you and on to God nobody would seek God if they could fix all their problems themselves I don't need God I, I got it I got it covered. I got it handled. Don't need no help from nobody else. And so, when these trials come, Paul agrees with James and says that the trials come from God. He says it's part of our calling. Jesus said before he was crucified, he said, folk hate you and you upset about it? Well, guess what? They hated me before they ever hated you. And they will continue to hate me. In fact, they hate you because of me. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. So, trials will come, trials can rock us, and trials come from God. So, is there any resolution to that? Keep on reading. Look at verse 5. That's why I couldn't quit worrying. I had to know for myself how you were doing in the faith. I didn't want the tempter getting to you and tearing down everything we had built up." Understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying that Satan causes this. He's saying that Satan seeks to exploit what God allows. Once again, let me go back to Job. If we read Job, understand that according to Job, Satan couldn't do nothing without God's permission. Satan and God get into a conversation. God says, have you considered my servant Job, how righteous he is, how holy he is, how upright he is. And Satan says, it's because you got a hedge built around him. You, you, you protect him. You, you keep him. He, he's, he's your most beloved pet. That's the way Peterson puts it in, in, in Job chapter one. He calls him his pet. He says, if you let calamity happen to him, he'll curse you to your face. God says, all right, go let calamity happen, but don't take, don't, don't put your hands on him. Understand, Satan couldn't do anything, according to Job, without God's permission. So Satan causes this calamity. The, the livestock is robbed, looted, and taken. The, the fields are burned and gone. The children die in a storm. And Job says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And 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 at the end of the chapter, it says, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Next chapter, God and Job get into a second conversation. He says, all right, you you caused this calamity to happen. Look how Job responded to it. Satan said, you ain't let me do enough. You, you, You let me touch his body. And then we'll see what happens. He said, All right, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. Next thing you read, he, he's broken out in sores and, and, and all of these other physical ailments happen. But through that, while Job begins to break down, Job holds on. My point is, Satan couldn't do anything without God allowing it to happen. In the same way, in this text, Paul says, I didn't want the tempter getting to you and tearing down everything we had built up together. This is an important spiritual point. This this is an important theological point. Paul wants you to understand that Satan can't do nothing, but Satan can take advantage of what God does. Get that. Devil made me do it. That's a lie. Stop, stop, stop saying that. Made Flip Wilson a lot of money, but it ain't true. Devil can't do nothing. Devil can't afflict you, but the devil can make you curse God because of your affliction. How? How? Because the devil talks to you. That's, that's Satan's real strength. I know that, that, that Hollywood and, and motion pictures have sensationalized Satan and said that Satan can do all of these terrible things. The truth of the matter, what Satan is able to do is talk to you. And if he talks and talks and talks, eventually you start... Have you ever noticed that children sound like their parents? Because they've heard their parents say the same thing over and over and over again. It's It's the same thing with you. You listen to the same people long enough, you start to sound like them. You listen to the same people long enough, you start to use their phrases. In fact, you forget that they weren't their phrases and you make them your phrase. That's what Satan does. And so when Satan approaches us and seeks to put doubt in our minds, seeks to cause us to feel ugliness and meanness and resentment and estrangement from God. That's Satan's real strength. When Satan approaches Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter three and, and in Luke chapter three, uh I want you to notice, Satan doesn't touch Jesus at all. Read about the first temptation. Y'all should have read this because it was in your Sunday school lesson last week. Satan doesn't touch Jesus at all. Satan doesn't even turn the stones to bread. You know why? Because he couldn't do it. What Satan could do was tempt Jesus. I know you hungry. Why don't you turn these? Don't you think it would have been a bigger temptation if Satan had turned the stones to bread and then put them in front of Jesus and say, Look, all you you ain't even gotta turn them. All you gotta do is pick it up and eat it. But Satan couldn't do it. Because Satan didn't have that kind of power. Satan's power is temptation. Satan's power is the ability to talk to you. Satan's power is the ability to get in your head and ultimately to get in your heart. And I'm harping on this because I think that we give Satan way too much credit. The devil got into me. James says resist the devil. Not he'll put up a fight. If you resist, he will flee. That means he'll run real fast in the opposite direction. Stop giving the devil credit for stuff that the devil can't do. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and, and says, I'll give all these to you. And Jesus said, Now you know you're lying because they don't belong. To you, we give the devil way too much credit. Satan seeks to cause us to doubt God's goodness. Satan seeks to cause us to retaliate against others with anger and resentment. Satan tempts us to give in to despair and, 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 and discouragement. That's Satan's strength. Other than that, Satan can't do anything. Paul says, I wanted to send somebody because I didn't want the tempter to get a hold of you. I wanted to make sure that there was a counter to what the tempter has said. Now, you should be asking yourself, well, what is my counter? Get in the word of God. And if you get in the word of God, the word of God counters everything that the devil is trying to do. Part of our problem is that we listen too much to the devil and we don't listen enough to the Lord. And we don't listen enough to the Lord because we don't fortify ourselves with the word of God. If the only time, and I'm sure I'm not talking to anybody in here, but there might be somebody watching on television. If the only time you pick up your Bible is to tuck it under your arm and bring it to church on Sunday you in bad shape if you don't spend some time in the study of the Word of God then you are depriving yourself of the spiritual nourishment that you need in order to resist the temptation of Satan Paul says, I wanted to send Timothy because I wanted somebody to be there to counter the tempter's attack on you. You might not have a Timothy, but you do have a Bible. And you need to spend some time in the study of God's word. Verse six, but now that Timothy is back, bringing this terrific report on your faith and love, we feel a lot better. It's especially gratifying to know that you continue to think well of us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. In the middle of our trouble and hard times here, just knowing you're doing how you're doing keeps us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. Paul says, not only was I interested in making sure that you were encouraged, but I want you to know how much you encourage me. The teacher sometimes needs encouragement from the student. The leader sometimes needs encouragement from those that they lead. Everybody, there ought to be some reciprocity in this. There should not be simply one giving and the other one just taking. The one who gives needs to receive as well. Paul says, I was concerned about you, but hearing about you has helped me to be better. It has encouraged me. He is rejoicing. Because he knows that their faith is alive and well. He's rejoicing because he knows that 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 what the, the labor that he has put forth has not gone without some kind of benefit. And doesn't everybody want to know that the work that they've done has reaped some kind of benefit? Some of y'all plant stuff. Y'all 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 like to plant food and flowers and what have you. When you go out there and plant that stuff, you expect at some point to go out there and get something from what you're planting. Reason why I stopped planting stuff a long time ago is because I could never get nothing to come back. And after a while, I, I would watch my grandmother plant mustard greens. She, 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 she would roll, take up my backyard with it, but she would roll a line of mustard greens and she could grow mustards and the next door neighbor Mrs. Jenkins could grow tomatoes and we would have mustard greens and tomatoes that came out of their backyards. And I said, I'm going to grow something too. And so I got some seeds and I went out there and I planted and I called myself watering and after about three months all I had was wet dirt could never get anything to grow. Ms. Fuller was just in my office a minute ago and she, she looked across, she said, there's something different about your office. I said, yeah, they took their plant out from over there in the corner because it was dying and they knew I wasn't gonna do nothing to save it. I have a brown thumb. I can't grow anything. I can't, I, I can't keep anything alive. If we labor to plant, To sow and we don't get anything back it's discouraging to us but what keeps us going is when we plant something we can see the benefit of the labor we get something back in return Paul says I planted a seed In you I I planted the gospel in your hearts and it is encouraging to me in spite of my hardships in spite of my troubles in spite of the difficulties that I'm going through I'm encouraged because I know that the seed that I planted in you is reaping a harvest every Christian needs to know that we need to know that when we're planting seeds that it's going to reap a harvest now don't don't let yourself don't don't be like me don't quit too fast because some seeds take longer to grow than others. You keep on working. You keep on laboring. Some folk don't grow at the same rate as other folks. Some folk don't get it as quickly as others. Cast your bread upon the water. That's That's what the scripture says. And it will not go away and come back void. Paul says he's encouraged because he knows that the work that he has done has been fruitful. Verse 9, what would be an adequate thanksgiving to offer God for all the joy we experience before him because of you? We do what we can, praying away night and day, asking for the bonus of seeing your faces again and doing what we can to help when your faith falters. May God, our Father himself, and our Master Jesus clear the road to you, and may the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you just as it does from us to you. May you be infused with strength and purity, filled with confidence in the presence of God, our Father, when our master Jesus arrives with all his followers. The other way to help others grow spiritually is to pray for them, that God will prepare them for future trials. In case you didn't know it, and I'm talking to people who who ought to know this, y'all been around for a minute. Today's trouble ain't the only trouble you're going to have. Somebody came in here with a problem. And you don't know how this problem is going to be resolved, but, but, but let's be clear. The problem will be resolved. But when that problem is resolved and you look back over it and you say, "Ooh, God brought me over that problem. Don't think that's the last one you're going to have. Either you're in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or on your way into a storm. It is the nature of life you are never going to have a time when there is not another hardship as long as you are in this world. Lord, I sure wish I'd live a life where I didn't have no more burdens. Okay, and then you won't die. Because as long as you're here, you're gonna have a problem. Every stage of life has its own share of problems, Every circle that you have has its own share of problems. And so what we need is constant encouragement to help us deal with our problems. We need to be in a state of constant readiness to deal with our problems. And so Paul says there's one way to be constantly prepared, and that is that we stay in a constant state of prayer. What is prayer? Part of your Sunday school lesson, uh, Sunday, deals with Jesus' teaching on prayer, and and what he talks about is the need to be direct and to be intimate and to be transparent with God in prayer. You won't get... The model prayer until next week's lesson, but in introducing the model prayer, he talks about the need for authenticity. He talks about the need for transparency. He talks about the need for intimacy in prayer. He says when you pray, go into your closet. Go to a private place where you don't have to worry about the other things that, that will take your attention away from God, and you can focus squarely on him. There is power in prayer, but the power only comes when you do it right. And when I say do it right, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that there is a particular language that you have to use, that there, are, that there is a formula of sayings that you have to employ. I'm saying that your mind has to be right in order to get from prayer the power that is truly there. People will will say, well, I prayed and I didn't get what I wanted. Problem number one, you were looking to get what you wanted. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about aligning yourself up with God. You mean I can't tell God what I want? Yes, you can. You have every right to tell God everything that you want. But when you get to the end of that prayer, before you say amen, you say not my will, but your will be done. Your first mistake is that you, you thought the prayer was going to get you what you wanted. If, if prayer didn't get Jesus what Jesus wanted what makes you think that prayer is going to get you what you want? Lord if it be possible is that not what he prayed? if it be possible well he knew it was possible because he was talking to God and God can do anything so, so he says Lord if it be possible let this cup pass from me that's what I want I don't want to have to endure this suffering. I don't want to have to endure this torment. I don't want to have to endure this torture. So let this cup pass from me. He told God what he wanted, but he didn't end the prayer with that. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Prayer, when it's done right, is not about us having our way. It's about us seeking to align ourselves so that God, well, God will have his way so that we're okay with God having his way. Let me go back to Job for a second. Job says, though he slay me. You know what slay means? I know you do. Y'all watching me on TV. Y'all know what slay means? Though he kills me, yet will I trust him. Well, do you really mean that? You say amen to him. Wow, that's powerful. That's, that, that's faith. But do you mean that? Can you really say whatever happens? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are confronted by Nebuchadnezzar who says, you either going to burn or you going to bow. I'm going to give you a chance. You, you, you messed up. I'm going to give you a chance. They gonna play, the orchestra's gonna play. When they play, either you bow or you gonna burn. Now, what's your answer? They said, we ain't even gotta think about it. We ain't gotta huddle up. We don't need a night's rest on it. We believe that our God is able to deliver us. We believe more than he's able. We believe that he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, let the record show. We will not bow to you or to any other idol. Can we truly say that? Is that our true desire that we will do what God said do? If we are not confident of that, then we are not praying with the proper prayer language. And again, I ain't talking about you got to have a formula. I'm talking about you have to have a mindset and a heart set. For God. So, Paul lifts up three things in prayer, and then I'm going to eat. You ready? I'm doing well on my plant based diet, by the way, just, just so y'all know. Ain't had no meat since January 1 doing well. First thing, pray for God's divine assistance as we seek to help others. What would be an adequate thanksgiving to offer God for all the joy we experience before him because of you? We do what we can, praying away Night and day, asking for the bonus of seeing your faces again and doing what we can to help when your faith falters. What a powerful thing it is that when you're going through trouble, you can look past your trouble to try to help somebody else. Remember, Paul says, I can't come to you because I'm having my own problems where I am but I'm going to send somebody else. Even as I'm sending somebody else, my prayer life is not wrapped around me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But my prayer life is concerned about you. Christians have to learn how to take their minds off of themselves and put their minds on the needs of others. That is what we have been called to. That's what our calling is really all about. Learning how to be selfless and to put the needs of others ahead of our own. Paul says, the first thing I'm praying about is for divine assistance to help you in your problems. Second thing he says He's praying for God's sovereign direction. May God, our Father himself, and our Master Jesus clear the road to you. And may the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you, just as it does from us to you. Prayer life is powerful when we recognize the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means that God is free to do whatever He wants to do. Prayer life is designed to help you be okay with whatever God wants to do. It's one Head acceptance is I know God can do anything. Heart acceptance is I'm okay with whatever God does. Some of us have a head thing. I know he's God, and I, and I know he, 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 he's going to do what he's going to do, but, we, but it never leaves the head and gets to the heart. And a lot of us are mad with God because God acted in his sovereignty. A lot of us are hurt because God acted in his sovereignty. A lot of us are depressed because God acted in his sovereignty. Well, when it leaves the head and when it reaches the heart, then there is an acceptance That comes to us from knowing that if God is in charge, everything is going to be all right. The third thing, pray for God's supernatural love. There was a commercial on during the Super Bowl, uh, they didn't mention religion at all, they didn't mention Christianity. But what they did mention was that in, in the Greek language, there were four words that translate into our word love. And, and they listed each one of the four words. Uh, they listed uh, eros, they listed philo, They listed the third one, which always slips my mind. We'll get it right. And then they listed agape. And what they said was, again, it wasn't a religious commercial, but what they said was the highest form of love is agape. It's a selfless love. It's a love that's geared towards others. That's the love that God has shown toward us. And that's the love that God expects us to show to one another. And so Paul says, my prayer is that God's love will reign not only in my life, but in your lives as well. What a wonderful thing. If everybody in here was concerned about everybody else more than they were about themselves. What what a wonderful thing if all of us were willing to put ourselves out for the other more than for ourselves. It is not wrong to, to, to have concerns about the natural things of life. It's not wrong to have concern about family, about children, things of that sort. But Jesus says, God knows what you need even before you ask. And so, if you can trust that God has all your needs already taken care of, then you can shift your focus away from that stuff to something else. And so, the question becomes, well, what should I focus on? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all other things, all, all other things. All is a universal affirmative. That means that there is nothing that falls outside of all. All catches everything. Seek first the kingdom and all other things will be added to you as well.